Trump reportedly ordered the firing of Robert Mueller last June, but backed down when the White House counsel threatened to resign. So he tried to obstruct justice in an obstruction of justice investigation. It's like getting pulled over for drunk driving and then challenging the cop to a keg stand. My concern at this point is that Trump tries to obstruct justice so often and so publicly that it doesn't even register as a crime anymore. I mean, no one's still trying to convict the Hamburglar for stealing hamburgers. Because at this point, that's just what he does. More on that in a second. Saturday Night Live was so good Saturday. Will Ferrell was the host. He's, he might be the best sketch comic who's ever lived. Mm. He's certainly up there with the Monty Python crew of the world. He is just so good. Strong words. He, um, he did a thing with, uh, Cicely Strong about a reality couple, a show that's on, a couple that's on a reality TV show that was so freaking good. And Cicely Strong tweeted over the weekend that was her favorite moment of her life. And if she's ever in a bad mood, she'll go back and watch the YouTube video of that. Wow. Just to cheer her up. It was so freaking funny. Well, Laura and I watched it three times. I've drifted away so from good. the live. Well, oh when my they have God, Will Ferrell funny. back, I'll, uh, I'll watch. So funny. Um, but on the obstruction uh, justice thing, so a couple of things that came out of the Sunday talk shows yesterday I found interesting. Um, what's obstructing justice? You'd think things would be more clear-cut, but uh, they aren't. You can get a couple of lawyers who see things completely differently, and then it'll be up to a court to decide at some point. I don't know um, how that'll work. But you remember Ken Starr? He was the Robert Mueller of the Clinton administration. And he was arguing that uh, Clinton... Son of Ringo Starr and Brenda Starr. Wow. Awesome. Good old-timey comics reference there. Hope somebody enjoyed that. And I did. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> and, uh, and Ken Starr was, was arguing with Dan Abrams, who is a, uh, one of your cable legal guys, about whether or not Trump has obstructed justice. And Ken Starr was saying, Trump... Um, Asking somebody who they voted for, Trump contemplating firing somebody, but then not. None of those things are of obstruction of justice. I thought, okay, that's that's pretty interesting, and you know, I'm, I'm not that surprised that he sees it that way. Whereas a lot of people think that's clearly obstructing justice. Um, but what he did think was a problem was surprising to me. He thinks Trump saying out loud to people that I never contemplated. Firing Mueller, and then it turns out he did contemplate it, lying to the American people. Kenneth Starr thinks that's his biggest problem. Politically or legally? Lying to the American people legally. Really? Yeah, that he lied to the American people. I thought, what? Politicians lying to their constituents is a problem? Is he new to politics? Don't they all do that at least a couple of times in their career, if not regularly? Yeah. Isn't that about the most common thing that happens? So I was oh, really no confused. Fool. I, I, yeah, I'll have to look into his reasoning. That surprises me. Seems really odd. No, I never contemplated. That's just politics, though. I mean, if you. Because you want people to think, okay, this is clearly the right policy. If he says, I mean, for instance, I agonized for hours, for days over these highway subsidies because most of the money's going to be wasted. But we gotta have roads, so I don't know. I guess all right. So let's do it. You don't want to. You, you want to project decisiveness, and this is clearly a good idea. Mueller is a hero among men. Of course, he's in the job. You don't want to. I tell you what. I, I you give me half an excuse, I'll fire his ass. But I haven't yet. Uh, that's just leadership, right? Arguably, so? although I could be wrong. I don't know. Like I say, I'm so blown away by that notion that that would be uh, obstruction of justice. I 
I don't get it. So we'll see where that goes. A, a couple other things. Lindsey Graham said over and over yesterday that if Trump fired Mueller, it would be the end of his presidency. Uh, I wish they'd have followed up and said, how would that unfold? Yeah, what are the mechanics of that? Uh, I think it'd be a pretty big deal, Yeah, the blowback. Yeah. Um, cause of course, is, you announced the end of his candidacy no less than a half a dozen times. Me and everyone else. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I did. Uh, but yeah, so Lindsey Graham thinks that would be the end of Trump if he did that. And it really warned him against them. And the other interesting thing that I saw in the talk shows, Trey Gowdy was on Fox. And one, he was asked how much confidence he has that Robert Mueller will uh, will come up with a fair, balanced um, investigation. He said 100%. Mm. And when asked about that memo that everybody wants released this week, he said people are going to be disappointed in that. There's there, there's nothing in there that shows the FBI to be a, a corrupt organization. Right. Trey Gowdy says that. Well, and I, I was reading Jonah Goldberg. He's um, a Republican, Trey Gowdy. Right, as is Jonah Goldberg. He's classic conservative, kind of your, uh, more your neocon. He's no big fan of Trump. But he was talking about the um, that four-page intelligence memo, and he said it's it's a publicity stunt. He said it's... Uh, Republicans have all the information. They got all the information. They that was Trey Gowdy's argument. Right. He said the Justice Department is fully aware of everything in there. So if there was a problem, they're aware of what's going on, and Republicans have seen it. So right, right, and there's no point. So this seems odd. Which could bring us certainly, if you're willing, to the New York Times piece. Well, it's not a New York Times piece per se. It was written by uh, uh, Cheryl Gay Stolberg. And uh, that was a joke, everybody. Calm down. And Nicholas Fandos. Um, Is that the, her name? Is that why you said that? No, it was a criticism. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, oh. yes, that's her middle name. <laughs> that's a criticism. Um, <laughs> ah, funny. As gridlock deepens in Congress, only gloom is bipartisan. And she talked about some of the stuff you were alluding to, actually. Uh, but she says, um, Senator Angus King... Who's from Maine? He's an independent, which means what is he? Is he a socialist? I know Bernie's a quote unquote independent, or is he like just a kind of super wishy washy moderate? Did he have to become remember. a Democrat to run for president? I don't remember. Anyway, um, he's our only senator named Angus. The Senate, he says, has literally forgotten how to function. We're like a high school football team that hasn't won a game in five years, we've forgotten how to win. Senator Ben Sass, Republican in Nebraska, as sassy as always. He says, quote, Congress is weaker than it's been in decades. The Senate isn't tackling our great national problems, and this has little to do with who sits in the Oval Office. Both parties, Republicans and Democrats, are obsessed with political survival and incumbency. Yeah. Yep. They go to point out the dysfunction has played out in ugly and puzzling ways. The three-day shutdown this month over immigration came and went so fast that even many Democrats saw no point in it. Last fierce futile efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act soured many conservatives. Mr. Trump's sweeping budget proposals to reorder government were simply ignored. And issues that both parties say they agree on, from raising military spending to banning bump stocks, etc., etc., remain undone. To some Democrats, midterm elections this November that were once seen as a test for lunch pail issues that could woo back white working class voters. I like a lunch pail issue. Ham sandwiches. Hmm. They're now seen as nothing short of the future of pluralism and constitutional democracy. Well, that's ridiculous. <sighs> yeah. Well, 
I just I think I don't know. I think maybe it's like in a relationship, a family relationship or a romantic relationship or whatever. You go through these patches where everything's just kind of crappy. Sometimes you go through these patches where things are crappy and the family splits up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Doesn't always end with you getting back on the right track. Right. Well, is this something new? They point out Harry Reid exercised the nuclear option. He says in his defense that he had to because he couldn't get any nominations through because the Republicans wouldn't let him, which right. is true. Right. And now the Democrat, Democrats won't let any nominations get through out of sheer pissiness. So they're talking about, uh, you know, the nuclear option for legislation. Ross Baker, political scientist at Rutgers University, where my dad once taught, sees something new in the level of vitriol and hyperbole. Our original air name, <laughs> vitriol <laughs> hyperbole. Boy, was that a combative show. People would call and we'd just scream at them. You stupid effers. Right. <laughs> and that's how we said hello. It, uh, quote, it's something that I think has only become more intense, more conspicuous because of the outsized personality and idio. Syncrasies of President Trump. It's made Democrats feel like they're under a very heavy obligation to defend the norms and the institution. I'm not sure I buy that. Um, plus, you got the Republicans trying to bring about change. I don't know. I just, I don't. Uh, there are things that would be good for my side, but I'm going to pass. I'm not going to do it because it'd be bad for the country. And that list of things is shrinking rapidly to, I don't know, anything short of assassination. I would do if it would benefit my party over the country. Right. Yeah. Uh, who disagrees with that? Well, Anybody? Yeah. It's it's amazing. I mean, I'm as cynical about it as I've ever been, and I think rightfully so. Did you hear what Nancy Pelosi said on Friday about Trump's immigration uh, plan that he announced at Davos? I mean, so over the top. In fact, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat, called her out on it, said wow. that was too much. But we'll wow. play that for you. I mean, it, you can't believe it. It's over so over the top. Oh, man. They got to retire that old hag before she says something really indefensible. Well, I Maybe this she, is it. I think she's just reflecting what you were just talking about, where we are. Mm. The, I, they're not doing that in a vacuum. People are reacting that way because the base of their parties are pushing them that way. Don't concede on anything. Don't give the other side a win, even if it's something we want. Are you saying we're getting the government we deserve? It's crazy. Really? That, that and other stuff coming up. How about some more Grammy music from that little Bruno Mars? Elfin Bruno Mars, huh? Won all the big awards yesterday. He's got to have the most Grammys per pound. <laughs> Probably of any performer yeah. in history. I wonder what he weighs. See if you can come up with a weight on Bruno Mars. I'm saying 155. It'd help if I had a height, but he's pretty short. Oh, I think he's lighter than that. He's teeny. I think he's 137. Really? Height. height. Five, five. Okay. I'm going 137. And what did I say? 150? Mm-hmm. What did I say? 155. Uh, it split the difference. 146, according to Google. Okay. I'm nine points off. You're nine points off? 146. If it's price of right rules, you lose because you went over. That's a price of right rule. They, they, those rules suck. <laughs> That's stupid. I'm a dollar over, so I lose to somebody who's $500 under? That's friggin' stupid. <laughs> what are you, charge a Unbelievable. We'll, an outrage. We'll guess the weights of other celebrities coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. This is Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. I got a condo in Manhattan. Baby girl was happy. You and your invited. So gonna get to clapping. Go pop a phone. Pop a phone. Turn around and 
I remember seeing it firsthand, people dancing that had never met each other from two sides of the globe, dancing with each other, toasting with each other, uh, celebrating together. All I wanted to do with this album was that. Bruno Mars gave a pretty cool speech after winning an album of the year Grammy. He had to ask them to, for time to allow them, and then they still played him off. What is the point of these effing award shows? If the person who wins the biggest award after three and a half hours of show can't talk for 45 seconds, what the hell? This is Trump's America. That's just I've always thought that was so weird. I understand if somebody wins a minor award early in the show, you don't want them going on and on and on. Nobody people. cares. But the person who wins best picture, the person who wins the album of the year, let them talk for a whole minute and a half. Yes, See what sir. happens. Hell, set aside two minutes? Good gosh. I mean, how long were Elton John and Lady Gaga singing? Yeah. Seriously. Come on. Little Bruno, gracious, charming, funny, heartwarming in his speech. That was like the only moment that didn't make me want to projectile vomit. So, Grammy ratings, we have some of that, Sean? Yeah, they fell 20% from the year before Perfect. to an all-time low. Wow. Yeah. And I'm out. <laughs> I, what, I would like to, what I would like to know about that is um, how many people tuned in the show and then left and how that affects the ratings. Because I sure. was turned off from the beginning. Because it was a political stuff at the beginning, the Kendrick Lamar thing. They were getting in, uh, I, I think, he was, he was singing, rapping so fast, I couldn't tell what was going on. But then, um, in the middle of the song, the comedian, black comedian, Dave, Dave Chappelle. Chappelle jumps in. Right. Do we have what he said or not? It doesn't matter. I can grab it real quick. Um, he jumps into the middle of the song, Kendrick Lamar's song, and says... Oh, not that quick. Sorry. Words okay. that will shock you. And says, the only thing more troubling than listening to an angry black... Uh, I might get it wrong, but it's along these lines. Okay. You have it. Dave Chappelle, and I just wanted to remind the audience that the only thing more frightening than watching a black man be honest in America is being an honest black man in America. Sorry for the interruption. Please continue. And then back into the music. And that happened in the first, like, four minutes of the show. I'd like to know how many people bailed at that point, because I wanted to. The only reason I watched was, uh, was for the show. And fast-forwarding hope. I just don't want to hear that sort of stuff when I'm watching a show about music. I just don't. Maybe you think that's great. Maybe you think it's making America a better place that we're having these conversations. I don't want it all the time in my NFL games, in my listening to my music, all the time. I just don't want it. I believe and, the proper reply at this moment is, sure, white man. And, uh, okay, fine. Fine, fine. You might even be right. I still, you can't compel me to watch award shows where I have to face the issues of the world. Well, and I, not just listen to some music. And I would also point out that, Dave, you're one of the most celebrated wordsmiths in America. Kendrick Lamar is absolutely uh, on top of the world. You have the entirety of the arts establishment and the media on your side. The zeitgeist of culture, etc., I don't think Kendrick Lamar has anything to fear from anybody. Far from it. So, uh, 
Not quite sure why you're lecturing me. So, that friggin' old Bono. Gotta go old. Now we're woke. And the, the, the go all uh, the, the go soft on the dreamers on me with with the most ham handed symbolism I've I've seen in many a moon. Well, you thought that was too much to be in front of the Statue of Liberty singing about the resistance. Only if he had put on a Trump mask and pushed an old Hispanic woman <laughs> off the top of the building <laughs> or a little girl, <laughs> make it a child, Bono. <laughs> Could it have Kill been a child? More? Uh, it just, I'll yes. show you what I think of DACA. Shove the little Hispanic girl right off the building. So that's fine. I mean, you get to do that. That's fine. But you know, we'll see, we'll see how the ratings turn out for the NFL, for Grammys, all this stuff. If we if we have to face this stuff always with all of our entertainment. Well, then there, there was the hilarious bit in the middle where the various people were reading the 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 Fire and Fury book, and it ends with Hillary, and the crowd goes wild in love and admiration and. Corden practically administers love to her. Uh, he's so thrilled to be on the same screen with her, blah, blah, blah. And half the country's thinking, what the F is that? Which they gave zero acknowledgement to. After a while, you just get tired of it. I, w- I would actually like to know, because the ratings often do. Um... I mean, seriously, my, my friends on the left. What if every single award show was was cackling and winking about what a bunch of morons progressives are? Every single show, you get tired of that. I because uh, ratings do include, um, you know, people tuning out because they 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 try to judge the entirety of the of the broadcast. Sometimes there's different ways to look at ratings. I would like to know how many people tuned out that tuned in, or did that many did twenty percent less people than last year never even show up to begin with? Yeah, interesting. That's uh-huh. a hell of a way to start. I mean, if you believe. The narrative that NFL ratings are down because people are tired of politics coming into their football games. Part of it. Then you have to think. In the first four minutes of the Grammys, a lot of people thought, I'm out. I know I felt that way. Well, like I said, I I was getting militant texts from various friends of mine who are not militant political types, like, oh, my God, are you watching this? This is a nightmare. And and the, the, the oxers. I'm dreading having to watch even some of it for the purposes of talking about it on this show. I have zero interest anymore. They've driven me away. These are the most watched broadcasts in America. Uh, Super Bowl's always number one, but right behind it's your Grammys and this sort of stuff. Oscars. Well, it was. And those two types of programs are especially valuable to... Uh, TV networks because they are essentially TiVo proof. These are things that people are compelled to watch live as right. opposed to your weekly sitcoms and things yep, like that. You're right. But yeah. let's keep in mind that I'm always lecturing you about this. It was like a 30 year heyday when the award shows were big and anybody gave a damn. Nobody's watching 1948, you know, for instance. Right. So that eh, came and it went. Who cares? Down. Gone, gone, but little mourned. Down 20% in one year. That's amazing. Yeah. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Trump demanding the release of classified memos, supposedly revealing the FBI's bias against it. We'll get into that story in more minutes from now. Armstrong and Getty. Okay, we got a lot more. What Nancy Pelosi said on Friday that had some Democrats even saying, whoa, that's a little much. Oh, yeah, we got to get to that. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. about one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my entire life, and I don't know why I did this or how I did this. I'm uh, unhooking my old dryer because I'm putting in my new dryer because my dryer crapped out on me. I didn't unplug it. 
and I got the screwdriver, and I'm taking the thing and trying to get the screws out on the the electric end right. of the damn thing. Oh. And I just happened to hit my screwdriver on one, and sparks flew up, and I thought, "Holy crap!" And I had to sit down. Wow. Because I don't know how I didn't shock myself. And it's 220. 220 is not a, a mild no, shock. No, that's right. not a joke. No. And uh, I don't know how I didn't shock myself because I'm, I'm holding on to these things, trying to get them on. They're kind of stuck in there right. and everything. God, you just didn't accidentally made a, make a circuit. You, you know? would have to work to do what I did and not shock yourself. I mean, it's just, it's just a miracle. I'd like to see the super slow-mo. Of that hand was on that pole, or you know, whether the proper term is, and that came that close to the screwdriver. Oh, they missed! That would have completed the circuit. Zap! It would have knocked you backward at, at best. Or the way I was wedged in, I can't get my hand out of there, yeah. and I'm just dead. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, freaking scared the crap out of me. I had to walk away for a while and sit down and like pray and stuff. I mean, it was. Sheesh. And I also thought, you gotta. What? How are you so stupid? How many times have you done this in your life? It's uh, your mind being somewhere else. Accidents. Accidents scare me. Uh, Let's get the news now, Marsha Phillips. President Trump is calling for a classified memo to be made public to show the FBI was biased against him. The Washington Post is reporting that Trump is urging the Attorney General Jeff Sessions through his chief of staff to go ahead and get that memo made public. Okay. I don't think there's anything to this. Trey Gowdy says you're going to be disappointed. I believe it. Top White House aide. If Trey Gowdy thought this was going to bring down the FBI, you're going to find out the right. FBI is a corrupt department out to ruin America. <laughs> he would tell you. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. Top White House aide, though, confirmed Sunday Trump wants to release that controversial classified memo from the House panel that claims to show the FBI is indeed biased against him. Legislative. Does he want to see that released to the public? Well, one, we don't know what's in the memo. It's classified. I haven't seen it. But I think the president generally sides on the on the side of transparency. And so, yes, I think he believes that that should be put out. But on on the first question, I think that um, where we stand is that is that again, there's been a significant investigation so far and no evidence of any sort of collusion. But- As Trey Gowdy said, yes. the DOJ at higher levels have seen it. They know it all. If there, there are a lot of Trump appointees. Do you think they wouldn't be running to the high hills and screaming from the highest mountain if the FBI was corrupt and screwing the president? Listen to this from the National Review. Uh, again, there are some legitimately disturbing facts and allegation of facts swirling around the FBI. Oh, no Mu- doubt. No doubt. Right. Mueller investigation, etc. But there's also an astonishing amount of manufactured outrage, absurd dot connecting, and near hysteria. It's as if everyone who shouts about the other side being conspiracy theorists need- needs to have a conspiracy theory all their own as well. Meanwhile, this hashtag release the memo campaign is obviously a PR stunt. But that itself is not damning. PR stunts are sometimes valid efforts to get a real story out. Uh, blah, 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 blah. After all, Republicans insinuating that a memo written by a Republican committee chairman in a Republican-controlled Congress during a Republican presidency is being hidden from the public by some force or entity other than the Republicans themselves strikes me as kind of hilarious. That's Jonah Goldberg in the uh, National Review. As is the idea that all of these Republicans saw it, but no one leaked it because leaking it is just wrong. It is wrong, but come on. <laughs> Nobody leaks anything because it's wrong. Um, well, anyway. California lawmaker has got a new bill out that would make it illegal for servers to offer plastic straws without being asked in advance. 
This law is causing a lot of controversy. According to the bill by Assembly Majority Leader Ian Calderon, violators would be charged with a misdemeanor punishable by up to six months in jail and a $1,000 fine. Right? Jail those waitresses. Jail them. That was an unauthorized straw. While you're at it, jam it in their eyes and under their fingernails. Make them pay for their crime. You could end up in jail for six months because you gave somebody a straw and they didn't ask for it. They didn't ask for it. That's a good point because we have plenty of uh, room in California jails having just uh, decriminalized crime to let more people out. God, this it can't be. This just can't be. If my kid's junior high's student government came up with something this stupid, I'd call for firing the principal. A uh, George Washington University student is fighting date rape druggings with her new invention. It's called the uh, no-nap. No-nap. It's discreet. It is white with a typical flower border that looks like a Wait, I'm discreet and white. Go on. But by applying a drop of your drink to the napkin, it'll test for a variety of drugs No, you know, that people use to knock out. So, is this, so you're going on a date, you carry this napkin in your yeah. pocket. When he's not looking, you dip your napkin in your drink to see if he's uh, trying to drug you and rape you. Exactly. Jeez. That's a that's a heck of a place to start with your dating. Apparently, the student is uh, has had some experience with this. Some of her friends apparently have had uh, knockout drug, drugs. You, you're uh, in the dating scene, Sean. Yeah, I, this is a a weird kind of symptom of the internet dating culture, where the the usual methods of gradually getting to know someone better and better, then leading to a date sort of thing. Good point. Introduced by friends. Excellent point. You you are jumping into a thing where like, hey, now I'm all alone with this person. We're out in a bar and I don't, I mean, we're in public, but I don't know these people. These people aren't my friends or allies, right? Right. This is, I think this is a a response to that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, the uh, the uh, no nap's going to be available for sale as soon as the end of the year. So that's what she came up with, and yeah. uh, says it works. Happens all over the place. All over the place, though. Uh, Judy sometimes will like try to get me too drunk, and <laughs> then uh, you know demand sex out of me. And I told her this has got to stop sooner or later. Sooner or later, eventually, not immediately. <laughs> that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. Here I'm starting to get a show, the voice of the West. Hmm. It's mm. a tough one. All right, we got to get to that that horrible witch, Nancy Pelosi. Well, I see, that her. seems rough on witches. You're right. I'm sorry. This horrible waste of air. It's not this, this bitter old hack. This America hating. Really? You're not betrayer of all that is good and kind. If I'm going to give a speech about extreme rhetoric. Now it's not helping. You're you're not helping. This vampire sinking her teeth into the veins of the American bloodstream, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. Sinking her teeth into the veins of the American bloodstream. How about a little more Grammys music when we come back also, and then we'll get to Nancy Pelosi. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. It feel like my life ain't mine. Who can relate? Woo! I've been on a low. I've been taking my time. 
I feel like I'm out of my mind. We don't just have the most diverse group of nominees in Grammys history. We also have, for the second year in a row, the least diverse hosts in Grammys history. I thought it was interesting, the host of the Grammys last night, which, by the way, the ratings are down 20% since last year, and I believe they were down, they've been going down over the years, so that's a heck of a drop-off. This whole thing may be dying, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah. It came, I mean, it where's, went. Where's our favorite Kanye West clip? I don't understand awards shows. <laughs> Nobody does or did. Nah, it was fun for a while. But, and uh, I think everybody's maybe caught on to the... No, but it, um, well, and, and there are now 30 of them. We haven't really addressed that. No, well, there they, are the biggies. They killed the golden goose, no doubt. They, yeah. they, they combination of uh, uh, watering it down with a whole bunch of others uh, until you got tired of award shows and then the politics stuff of it. Corden, very little politics. He had a couple of bits that obviously were very political, like that reading from uh, Fire and Fury. But I, I was expecting a monologue full of Trump jokes and Me Too stuff, and he basically just said, "Good, to, glad to be here. Let's get to the first award." They mm-hmm. almost seem to keep it. They almost like. Seem to have a strategic plan to. We want to put all the the anti-Trump stuff in this one twenty thirty minute yeah. part of the show, but it still bled out in in various acceptance speeches and things like that. Right. I still don't understand award shows. You, Me and you, Kanye. You are dead on with that, Kanye. Show's over. <laughs> so, um, so Trump said at Davos. He talked about the, 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 his plan for immigration. So, And the plan w- was that a path for citizenship for the 1.8 million so-called dreamers, which is uh, what most people want, and uh, a lot of people on the right are killing him for that. Breitbart calling him Amnesty Don and uh, Ann Coulter and others just killing him for that. So it's surprising that Nancy Pelosi would hate that. Then the other part of it is... Cracking down on chain migration and the diversity visa lottery program, which, as we mentioned last week, you poll that stuff, it's at like 80% our agreement with him. So mm-hmm. Trump is not out there on a limb on this stuff, on this particular immigration plan. This is what Nancy Pelosi, well, this is part of what Nancy Pelosi said on Friday. That plan is a campaign to make America white again. That's the end of this uh, little screed. Oh, boy. That, that's a heck of a thing to say right there. Wow. The administration's anti-immigrant framework is an act of stour, staggering cowardice, which attempts to hold the dreamers hostage to a hateful anti-immigrant scheme, Nancy Pelosi said on Friday. The 50% cut to legal immigration in the framework and the recent announcements to end temporary protected status for Central Americans and Haitians are both part of the same cruel agenda. They are part of the Trump administration's unmistakable campaign to make America white again. Wow. Wow. Then you got this piece in the HuffPo. Here's your headline. The White House Dreamer deal isn't a compromise. It's a racist ransom note. So that is the whipping up the base strategy for the midterms, or so it would seem. Now, Joe Manchin, Democrat, U.S. Senator, told Nancy Pelosi she needs to grow up and uh, tone down the rhetoric. I'd say that's... uh Pretty over the top. Really? Joe Manchin, the inventor of the unnecessarily large home. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we, we just, it, it, the sort of thing that would have been a crazy thing to say. Now, Trump has contributed to this also, oh, obviously. Yeah. Sure. Obviously. But the sort of thing that would have been a crazy thing to say a few years ago, now you can just openly call as the most powerful person among Democrats in the House, just openly call the president a racist. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just, okay. 
Well, and that the entire policy, which, again, several aspects of it are supported by 80% of people, uh, is a racist ransom note or, or a campaign to make America white again. The, the truth about politics, though, is that if you're not familiar with those poll numbers, sure, and it's always portrayed you, every aspect of it, because you probably haven't read that much about the specifics of it, but all you read is portrayals of it being a racist horror and a neo-Nazi something or other and a white nationalist what's it. Uh, you know, you would believe it and you'd turn out to vote. Uh, this is a complicated story that uh, complicates conversations about race and whatnot. New York Times over the weekend, Indian slavery once thrived in New Mexico. Latinos are finding family ties to it. Mm. So a lot of Hispanics White in New Mexico. White people enslaved Indians and Hispanics. Exactly. What? Uh, Indians were big on the whole slave trade for, uh, for well, hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. With Hispanics and trading with the Spanish and all all sorts of different stuff that was going on. They had lots of black slaves too, particularly so in the southeast. It's complicating the whole uh, slavery conversation, mm-hmm. and um, and also groups that generally are lumped together in fighting for various things. For instance, in New Mexico, we'd have Hispanics and Native Americans who would be part of a voting block generally. Now, one part of the voting block is saying, "Hey, your grandfather held my grandfather as a slave." That ain't cool. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. yeah. I, I just hope people wake up to that eventually. You that, know, the whole taking out historical wrongs on present day people thing, it just it doesn't work. Right. And uh, and pretty much everybody on Earth back in the day held slaves of varieties of kinds. You know, I've been I was astounded when South Africa ended apartheid in particular. Well, that was a good example. But Rwanda was an even a better example when they at the end of the whole uh is there a generally agreed upon term for the horrendousness that Rwanda underwent, um, where the Hutus and the Tutsis were killing each other by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, just slaughtering people in their homes? Just unthinkable, inhuman violence and hatred based on clan and tribe and political power and the rest of it. But at the end of it, they they announced big, uh, essentially, um, amnesty, forgive and forget laws. Where they said, listen, if we try to settle all these scores, we will do nothing but settle scores for the rest of our history. No doubt about that. We need to all recognize terrible things happened, and we need to move forward. Um, and, and people agreed with it. And having read extensively about it at the time, I was just so horrified by what was going on. It was just, and I, I couldn't understand how can human beings have the capacity to forgive that much and say, we all went crazy, it's over. We can't settle scores. I, I I think that is so clearly the only way to have a functioning society. Because w- when does the score settling stop? Doesn't until no. one side's completely defeated, right? And defeated by I mean like killed and right cowering until they somehow or other you know get the upper hand someday and uh, and and then settle all those scores, right? And it's a never ending cycle. But um, I don't know. Mine is the minority view. Among, uh, ironically. Among things we can do in the award-winning fourth hour. What time is it? It's uh, 8.55 and 18, 19. Oh, that's right. We're on a 20-second delay again because when Jack was out sick, I let a guest swear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize I was holding this thing from just becoming a, a filth fest <laughs> when I'm here. And when I'm not here, you start... You're like a father figure. You start cussing and using terrible language, and that's what happened. And now we have a 20-second delay on the show, so I could say all kinds of horrifying things. Yeah, you you were out of the house, so I got my uh, older friend at work to buy some beer, 
And we, we got drunk. We trashed the place. We watched porn on the VCR. <laughs> and you came home to see the mess. And un- unbeknownst to the listening audience, we've been testing this out all day. We've sworn 273 <laughs> times today. Oh, yeah. And said, you guys haven't heard a single one of them. We've said horrible things. If I oh, were yeah. going to drop a C-bomb, it'd probably be about Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, my. Who had one of her goop conventions over the weekend in oh, which boy. thousands of people showed up. And what and they the li- authorities rounded them up and put them in <laughs> camps for their own good. And what they listened to and bought will astonish you. So we'll have that coming up in the award-winning fourth hour, if you get it, of the Armstrong and Getty Show. We love the Gwyneth Paltrow goop conventions. Oh, my God. That's... And Joe and I will once again get into, does she know what she's doing, or does she actually believe this stuff? You know, I've spent my life, Jack, you too, thinking how easy it would be to 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 to, to steal from people, to defraud them. You know, I don't have the heart for it, neither do you. I wouldn't target oldsters or anything like that. I would, you know, I don't, well, I don't know who I'd target, but I will tell you this. If somebody gets me Gwyneth Paltrow's mailing list, I will turn to a life of crime because I will not be able to resist stealing from those people. Tickets were between $650 and $2,000. That's an expensive ticket. It's like the Super Bowl of stupid. And 600 yoga pants wearing women showed up and paid the tickets. We'll talk more about that coming. How do you like that? I can't see my people in there. I did. At 10 seconds, do I have time to say some really horrifying words and then you dump them out? You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.